My message title today is Own Your Freedom. Everybody say, Own Your Freedom. So here's the deal. We've been in this amazing sermon series about owning your stuff. And Pastor Herbert has set us up for success and the ability to walk in freedom. But here's the deal. We all need to get free from something. Freedom just seems like unattainable, though, sometimes. Like, freedom seems when you're, like, kind of stuck in cycles, Every, anybody ever been stuck in a cycle of like, you know, <laughs> debt, <laughs> doing something that you said you would never do, but you keep doing it over and over and over? Freedom means without restraint. And I believe that all of us, any of us, can have the freedom that we're looking for if we take ownership of our freedom journey. Do you want to be free? As scripture says in John 8, 36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free, what? Indeed, emphasis. That means like period at the end of that sentence, right? It is so, it is done. Jesus finished the work for us on the cross. We are free indeed. But here's the deal, we are human beings born into a sinful world with sinful, broken people. We're all raggedy rag dolls without Jesus, right? We're all in need of a savior. And we're walking around kind of free-ish rather than free indeed. And I know a little something about that because a little over eight years ago, I was walking around thinking I had it all together on the outside. It looked like I had it all together. Had the kids, had the car, had the house, the white picket fence. My husband and I were pastoring and leading a church just south of Baltimore in Maryland. And I didn't realize how locked up I was on the inside. My emotional world, my internal world, the emotions that Pastor uh, Herbert talked to us about, about taking ownership of them, I didn't know I was allowed to acknowledge them. My emotional intelligence, first of all, I didn't know that was a thing, was on the floor. And here's the deal. You can, I got straight A's in school. You can have a high IQ, but you can have super low emotional intelligence. And here's the deal. Emotional intelligence is going to get you further in life than your IQ ever will. And it's proven, studies show it, prove it. If you know how to handle your emotions, you're going to make it far in life. I had no clue. I had no clue how to acknowledge pain, how to acknowledge um, what was happening on the inside. I thought I was just supposed to stuff and numb those things, so I did. When I felt, when I felt pain, I stuffed it. And I numbed it. And I started, see, here's the thing about human beings. When we um, feel pain, we want to medicate the pain, right? Who enjoys feeling pain? No one. So we reach for something to medicate with. My choice at 32 years old, when I reintroduced alcohol back in my life, I realized this makes me feel temporarily really good. In fact, at 32 years old, I had no clue that a little alcoholic was actually born 
at 10 years old, at my first introduction to alcohol, when I helped myself to my dad's Guinness, I lived overseas in Africa, and um, I was born there. And my, my mom is African from Zambia, and my dad is Caucasian-American. I'm African-American, like, for real, for real. <laughs> and culturally, like, you know, yeah, that's, you, I helped myself to the Guinness. Little did I know I was altering my brain chemistry. I knew nothing about addiction and alcoholism and how it all worked. Then abused it all through my teens. Looking for love in all the wrong places, making bad choices, numb that with some alcohol. Nobody drank just to drink. We, everybody drank to get wasted, and we abused it. I met Jesus and my husband about 21 years old, and I gave all of that up happily. I was so done. Right when I was, you know, it was legal for me to drink, I gave it up. But... Um, <laughs> you know, all through my 20s, I was popping out babies. Then here I am, 32 years old, on vacation, and suddenly we added it back. Little did I know that you pick up right where you left off when it comes to alcohol. I didn't realize that I had already become dependent to alcohol way back then. The early introduction, all of that. So over a six-year period of time, do you know that I ended up, as a pastor's wife, as a pastor, as a mom, as a wife and a leader in God's church, I ended up with an ultimatum for my husband. Either you go to rehab or I'm out. I'm not going to let you hurt our kids anymore. I'm not going to let this like get out and hurt the people in our church because nobody knew. Nobody knew that at home I would have four glasses just getting dinner ready then it went to a bottle and a half, two bottles, just getting ready for dinner. Made every excuse. I would rationalize all the reasons why I needed to drink. You know, just take the edge off the day. I deserve something to come down off my day. Little did I know that I was set up, actually, for addiction. So here's the deal. We're going to talk today about some things. We're going to talk because your pastors are amazing and allowed me the opportunity to come and share with you because they know that over 50% of the people in our congregations are either actively in addiction or know someone in addiction. And I'm so grateful that they also believe and understand the importance of us talking about this in the church because it's affecting all of us, TBH. You know, we all know someone. And here's the deal. I was 32 years old and nobody had ever said they were an addict or addicted to alcohol or anything. I'm in the church. Like, isn't that the guy under the bridge with the brown paper bag? I'm a mom. I don't need to go to rehab. I started Googling, are you an alcoholic? If you have to Google it, <laughs> you might have a problem, y'all. So let me, that just helped somebody out there. So here's the deal. Early introduction, you got to analyze that. Like, when did you get introduced to the thing that you might be abusing? Did you give it up for periods of time and then rationalize that you're good? I got it. I'm not addicted because I can just stop whenever I want to. Rationalization. It's called rationalization. And... Is your life going downhill? Your emotional world is taking a, a dip because you're putting fuel on your depression. 
because alcohol actually is literally like putting fuel on your mental health issues. They grow, they go on fire, and they will take out everybody around you. And through my situation and through my journey of dealing with alcoholism, I realized that, you know, the guy under the bridge, it's, it can happen to any of us. It's not just the guy under the bridge. Recovery is not a bad word. It's not just for those people. We get so judgmental in the church, right? Recovery actually applies to us all. Ooh, true story. The definition says a return to a natural state of health, mind, or strength. Who wants to return to God's original intent of health before this crazy world starts traumatizing us, stealing our joy, taking from us, right? Recovery, the definition, the action or process of regaining possession or control of something that was stolen or lost. I think we could all raise our hands and say that something has been stolen in our lives. Something has been lost. Might be your innocence. It might be your virginity. It might be your money, your trust. Something has been stolen. We all have something that we need to recover from. So recovery applies to us all. We all, in the recovery world, we like to say we all have hurts, hangups, and habits. See, the hurts sound like this. So I'm going to touch everybody in the, this room because recovery is for everybody, right? So we all have hurts like grief. We can get stuck in the grief process, in the denial part or just the anger part and never get to where we're healed and accepting the loss. So that can be a hurt. That, you know, loss of a relationship, betrayal, divorce, trauma hurts can lead to hangups like unforgiveness, rage in your anger, and expression of your emotions that are out of moderation, either all or nothing. Stuffing and numbing or we explode on everyone. Catastrophizing, victimizing ourselves. One-upping, which means I feel insecure. I'm going to be better than you. You know, yeah, I went on a ski trip too. And I, yeah, when I did it, I did. So, do you know somebody in your life who's always has to tell you the story about what happened in their life that's, you know, better than what you just shared? One up or one down. We victimize each other. We make ourselves small. We're invisible. Hangups. They hinder us. Those things can turn into habits because we're going to reach for something to numb our pain. It could be overworking. It could be perfectionism. Any recovering perfectionists in the room that would be bold enough to raise their hands? That's me. Everything's got to be perfect in order. Controlling. Like I control it so it's perfect. Porn addiction. Do you know how many women I pray with now at the altar? It's not just guys. It's a lot of women struggling with this. It's real. Shopping, gambling, anything. Self-harm, cutting and burning. These are all things, hurts, hangups, habits, that we're trying to get pain out of our body, but rather than running to Jesus, the Savior, the great physician, the great counselor, the one who can free us, indeed, we run to a person, place, or thing to take care of that. So who wants to recover? 
Do you realize that it's not just for those who need it, but it's for those who want it? So my prayer for you is how, number, my question is, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to get well? And what my prayer is and my assignment today is to wake up your willingness to get well. Your willingness. That's all we need is willingness. Recovery is for those who want it. So if you want to own your freedom and go on this freedom journey with me, number one, you've got to acknowledge the pain. Acknowledging pain is not as easy as it seems. Because if you're like me and you weren't taught how to be honest, I didn't know how to be honest about things that were going on inside of me, bad things, shameful things. Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be perfect. I shouldn't be feeling that. I'm a pastor's wife. Like somehow that exempted me from pain, brokenness, need of a savior. No. We've got to acknowledge the pain inside of us and express it. Otherwise, you could end up like me and in the extreme of your story, which for me was rehab. How does a mom, how does a wife, how does a pastor end up in rehab? Undealt with pain. Emotional and sexual and physical abuse growing up, but it was my normal. I didn't know that you could say it out loud because I thought it was betraying my family. I didn't know that I was allowed to get honest about the, the fact that some of those things happened to me. It was years into my marriage when I actually acknowledged that I had been experienced date rape. I thought it was my fault. And I had so much shame around it. And then, you know, sexual abuse, who's talking about that? And codependency, see, here's the thing. I suffered with extreme codependency. Codependency is actually the root of all addiction. Studies have proven it that this theory that our brokenness in our, uh, with our relationship with self and our relationship with our caretakers early on is dysfunctional. So we grow up to be developmentally immature adults and developmentally immature adults, we repeat cycles and we repopulate the earth with other dysfunctional people just like us. Because that's all we know. Your parents did the best they knew how. You can forgive them today. I have forgiven my parents because though I was born into a dysfunctional family unit, they did the best that they could with what they knew how. I just freed somebody in the room. <laughs> But without acknowledging the pain of our lack of communication, just as Jeremiah 6.14 says, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. You got to call it what it is. I can't even tell you how shocked I was when the counselor's like, Irene, that's abuse. I'm like, what? That was my normal dysfunction. That was rape, Irene. What? No. I said, I overdrank. I'm the one who got drunk and put myself in that position. No, Irene, you didn't want to, so no is no. 
But the only way that Romans 8.28 can ring true for all of us, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The only way that this can ring true, this only way that this can come about for us all is if we partner with God to believe that he can do what no man can do. He can forgive us, but we've got to do our part. We've got to call it what it is and partner with him to get free. Number two, so first we got to acknowledge the pain. Number two, after that, after we have looked at the wound, called it what it is, and our faith is now aligned with God that he is going to turn this around for good. Now we can shed some shame. Number two, our journey to freedom is going to require us to shed the shame, get rid of it. So here's the deal. Let's talk about the most powerful emotion that God created. Emotions are good. God created them. But when we don't understand them, we can take on the negative attributes of the emotion and dysfunctionally go into a spiral. We do that a lot with shame because we don't understand it. See, shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad, so we say, I'm sorry. See, the bad part of shame, I am bad. It attacks your identity, your character, who you are inwardly. So you actually feel physical pain when you experience that emotion. It's so powerful, it makes you hide. It makes you cover up. I'm not going to ask for help. Nobody can find out about this. Shame can kill you. It makes you hide. I hid alcohol, was hiding vodka and water bottles because I needed the alcohol. I, addiction had taken over my uh, desire to stop. I couldn't stop without help. So here's the deal. When we don't understand shame, we hide, we cover up, and whatever it is we're hiding grows. Almost killed me. My medical file said toxic shame. I was diagnosed with toxic shame. Did you know? that toxic shame can become a mental health disorder, depression, anxiety. I just believed that God's grace applied to all of you, but not me. For some reason, I'm so bad, so far gone, too broken for God's grace and forgiveness to apply to me. Didn't realize that I was cheapening the work of the cross. Jesus took on my shame, lived a sinless life, suffered the worst death for me, and I'm saying that wasn't good enough? Who am I to cheapen the work of the cross? But it becomes toxic when we don't understand it. We got to understand that the purpose of shame was for us to turn and change our behavior. Because when you get that feeling of humiliation and embarrassment, you're like, ooh, I'm not going to do that again. That's the purpose of it. But if you let it go on, it'll attack you. It'll attack your self-esteem. It attacks the way you feel about yourself. But you can become shame resilient now that you have an understanding of what shame is for and where it could go negatively. Let's become shame resilient. Acknowledge it. Ouch, that felt painful. Is that shame? What am I trying to cover up? Nope, I'm going to get brave enough to talk about it. I'm going to speak up and break the power of shame off of whatever it is that you're struggling with. 
And then when you break off the power of shame, like nothing is holding you back from connecting with God and connecting with others because that's what shame does. Shame is the biggest enemy of you loving yourself and being connected to the Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. The apostle Paul begged three times, take this thorn from my flesh. What I make up about this is that Paul struggled with something human-like. And he was like, God, take it away, please. And the Lord kept saying back to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Your, your, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I, um, that's why Paul bragged about it. Bra Paul bragged about his weakness because he realized that when I am weak, when I show my weakness, it basically connects me with God's grace in a way that now I'm strong and now I can boast about what the power of Christ has done in my life. And so I am eight years, three months, 13 days sober today. And I can punch the enemy of shame in the face. Why? Because the power of Christ rests in me. And he has done this work in me. This is nothing I could have done on my own. Addiction kills most people. And I'm alive. I'm a miracle. My family's a miracle. I'm still married. We're still together. Like, we're helping people all around the world now get free from this. That's nothing but Jesus. And I'm sorry if you're in this audience or watching online or in another campus and you're like, oh my gosh, my loved one, that's not our story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the lies, the manipulation of the person in your life that's still struggling with addiction. But I wanna promise you this, bring it to the Lord and ex express your weakness and he will give you the strength to walk out your process of recovery. Even if the person never stops, you're just as important. So here's the deal. Day 38 of rehab, I finally admit my weakness. I finally admit that I'm an alcoholic. It didn't mean I am bad. I have an allergy to alcohol. <laughs> Can't just have one. For some reason, it just makes me have multiple, like one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. I have an allergy. So when people ask me, oh, why aren't you drinking? Because some, for some reason I'm the weirdo because I don't drink. Isn't that our society or something? Anyway, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I have an allergy. People are like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I get to not black out. I get to remember what happened the night before. I get to not humiliate myself and wreck my family and kill somebody on the road. I get to be sober. God has reframed my shame. He, and I shed it every time I admit my weakness. Psalm 34 promises us that no shadow of shame will darken our faces. When we focus on Jesus, the only one who can heal us, set us free deliver us, surround us with the people we need to recover. It's him and only him. When we go to him, he promises that no shame will darken our faces. 
So number one, acknowledge the pain. Number two, shed the shame. Shed it, shed it, shed the shame. Get rid of it. And number three, we got to break some cycles. This family that I was telling you about earlier that has gotten free, it was not just a one-and-done counseling session. Oh, no. Breaking the cycle of addiction required an all-in approach. So just as I was in, it's a family disease. Addiction is a family disease. Just because one person is addicted, does all the attention typically goes to the person in the addiction, all the money, all the resources, but the family members, the loved ones, are just as sick emotionally as the person in the addiction. There's enabling issues. There's codependency. There's family dysfunction all wrapped in everyone in the family. So we got to go to counseling. Our family dove into counseling. While I was in rehab, they were doing counseling. They were going to Al-Anon and Alateen. My kids, let me tell you something, they are stronger and better off and so emotionally intelligent and aware what the enemy meant for bad, God has turned around for good. There's no shame. Our family talks about this is a generational curse in our family, but it stops with us. We're going to talk about it and break the power of shame off of our family. We have to heal together. So what is that going to take? It's going to take you making a decision. Is it going to stop with you? Is overeating going to stop with you? You got to acknowledge it. Admit it. Is porn addiction going to stop with you? You got to make a decision and own that thing. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, as it says in Romans 12 too. Because, but, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So here today, I'm challenging your thinking Another version of uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, the message says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And here's the deal. I didn't, wasn't even thinking. Alcohol is just what? Acceptable. Everybody does it. Da, da, da. It crept up on me. Didn't see it coming and almost took me out. The counselors were like, you were set up for addiction because you never uh, dealt with your shame, your pain from your past your emotional world, you were set up for it. How many of us are walking around set up, but we're not evaluating what might be out of moderation in our life, so we've given the enemy an opening. And he comes in, he creeps up on us, and he could take over, and we could become addicted to anything. So I want to challenge you to think about what, me, what might be out of moderation in your life. You're using it so much maybe in a way to take you somewhere emotionally that is causing you a disservice or the people around you a disservice. It's to the point where the consequences are increasing and you still won't stop. Consider that you might be headed towards dependency. You don't want to get to addiction because then you can't stop without help. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. 
We have the freedom to do anything, but we don't always choose something that's beneficial for us. So I want you to evaluate that as you consider breaking cycles in your life. And lastly, I want to close with this. Do the work. Everybody say, do the work. You want to get free? You got to own your freedom journey and do the work. Do the work. It's hard to go to meetings, celebrate recovery, AA. I went to all, I go to eight years and three months later, I still go to meetings. In the beginning, we, our renewal of our mind is so needed and required that in the recovery world, we go to 90 and 90, 90 meetings and 90 days to try to renew this mind that's so addicted to going in a direction that's not healthy and benefiting us. Oh, after that, after rehab, I had to go to intense outpatient. So there, there are all kinds of ways that you can recover. I went to intense outpatient, 23 sessions, three hours a day, because this brain needed to continually rewire that alcohol wasn't good for me. Group counseling. You can go to intense outpatient and still go to work. Nobody has to know. There's so many things, trauma treatment. I did EMDR, I did all of these things to get well. You gotta do the work and the kids came along with me. And when I came home, they celebrated the mess out of me. Every coin I got, every uh, time I came home and celebrated that I hit another milestone, they bragged on me and helped me shed the shame. So guys, we got to break cycles, take our families along the journey with us because freedom is not just a destination. It's a journey we're going to be on for the rest of our lives. So if the sun sets you free, you are truly free indeed. You really are. But God wants to partner with you today to pair what he already did with what we need to make tangible here on the earth so we can live and walk out freedom. He wants to partner with you. It's gonna require some work from you, admitting you have an issue. Yeah, you're not perfect. Accepting God's grace applies to you. He forgives you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Acceptance and then apply the work. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you that we can get honest in safe places like this in our churches, God, with counselors, with prayer partners, with friends, with whoever is around us, God. Help us to have the courage to get honest and reach out for help. God, help us to accept your grace and forgiveness. Wash our imaginations of all the past and what things have looked like for us in the past, like being free-ish. Wash our imaginations, wash our thought life. God, help us take captive every thought that tries to remind us and tell us that we're broken. And God, I just pray that we would be connected with you because ultimately at the end of the day, we cannot do anything without you. So God, Help us get free today so we can help set others free. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for letting me share.
Amen, church. Can we thank God for Pastor Irene and her word for us today? And I'm going to ask if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. You know, one of the most important ways that we can own our freedom is realizing that we get to own the fact that our sin has separated us from God. And you may be here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your life and said, God, set me free from this sin that has a hold on my life that's keeping me away from you. Today, I'm going to own the fact that, that my sin has separated me from you. Or maybe you're here today and you've drifted away from God. Maybe you were once close to him, but you're, you found yourself now distant and maybe entangled in your sin again. Today, I want you to know that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you, to bring you freedom from your sin. And so if you're here today, I want to pray with you. You're here today and you realize that I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need to own my freedom today. I need to own the fact that I need a Savior to save me from my sin. I need Jesus. I need to make him the Lord of my life. If that's you here today, when I count the three, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If that's you here today, when I count the three, would you slip up your hand? Would you slip it up boldly and say, you know what? Today I'm making a decision that I'm going to own it. I'm going to get free from my sin when I count the three. One, two, three. If that's you, slip up your hand all around this room. All around this room, I see your hands. Anyone else? You say, that's me today. Raise your hand. Say, I need Jesus. I need my sins forgiven today. If you have your hand raised today, would you repeat this prayer after me? It's going to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You're saying, I want God to serve God and not the devil. I want to live for him today. Pray this with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come before you right now, and I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Today, I own the fact that I need freedom from my sin, and I come to you and surrender my life. And say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me. Wash me. Today I make you my Lord. And I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.